Our passage this morning is uh, Philippians 4, verses 4 to 9. We are rounding out our Advent series. Um, The last song we've been singing every week of Advent, and we'll do so again this morning, is Joy to the World by Isaac Watts. And as you know, in the fourth stanza, it says, He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. And it's a reminder that what Jesus has come to do and that we celebrate at Advent, and of course every Sunday, but what Jesus has come to do is to remove the curse. And he, of course, accomplishes that on the cross. So Jason began the series in Genesis 3 by showing that scene where God is letting Satan know, you may nip at his heel, but he will crush your head. And the seed will come through the woman. And then we move forward to chapter 50 where we see this royal family, the one that the seed will come through, having incredible sin and incredible healing. And then last week we looked at Galatians 4 where Paul said, looking backwards at Christ's death and resurrection, that he was born of a woman, born under law to redeem those under law, all of us. And we are now sons and daughters of the king. And so as we come to our fourth Sunday, what I wanted to talk about this morning is I think a much-needed thing to really celebrate at Christmas is the longing for peace. So we are looking at probably the classic passage on peace, though there are many places you could turn in Scripture, in the book of Philippians. This was actually the first sermon series I preached here at Grace in summer of 2014. Anyone remember that? Good, because I've, I've lifted the whole, no, I'm kidding. I didn't even, I printed that one out and I just never even, I thought, no, let's go fresh. Uh, that was actually my second time through it. I looked at this in RUF. I love Philippians. They're interesting. They're kind of a neat church because they don't have like a major problem like Galatia or Colossae or Corinth. Though the threat is out there. He, he does warn them. Watch out for those dogs. Those ones that want to come in and, and take away your joy through law. But what they really seem to wrestle with is anxiety. Throughout the entire letter you, you see this building up leading to our final chapter here at four. And so I think it has a lot to teach us this morning. So let's read it together. Philippians 4, verses 4 to 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise you for this promise that you are with us, that Jesus, you guard our hearts, that we actually, right now, in this moment, without any proof, without any uh, payoff, if you will, have everything we need in you and can have true peace. Lord, so often I know in my life I want to see the results. I want to see things change. I want to see fruit But the truth is, when I come to you, when you become the guardian of my heart through worship and rejoicing, Lord, we all know that we can have true peace. 
peace that surpasses all understanding. And I pray for that present this morning to be realized in the hearts of my brothers and sisters here this morning, this Christmas. Amen. Recently, I was reading a, a book on church family, and the author is borrowing from a um, kind of a system of, of counseling that talks about family dynamics that we actually were trained in in seminary. And the reason we were trained in seminary on this is as a pastor, if someone walks in and a child, say, is acting out and the parents don't know what to do, the idea is, of course, you move toward that child, you, you find out what's happening in their life, but you also want to think about the family and, and what's going on in the broader context. And the person who first really started that work was named uh, Dr. Murray Bowen. And so the quote I came across this week from this book was fascinating because he quotes Bowen, it's in the preface, as saying, he's been dead for a few years, but as saying from time to time, the, the entire world will sort of have these upticks in like anxiety. And he said, you'll notice this through like terrorism. And this is of course long before 9-11. And I actually thought about 9-11 and, and the fear that struck in our communities, in our world. And of course, this, it really hit me that I've heard many of us say, man, I don't know what COVID has done, but we feel like we've like lost that ability as a society to just deal with the normal anxiety that exists. And, and the problem there would be, of course, we don't want any anxiety, but it's moments like these that I think offer us a chance to go, wait a minute, are we anxious? Are you all anxious people? I have a superpower, I can catch things as they fall, ask my family. And it's not because I'm fast, and it's not because I'm coordinated, it's because I already assumed the thing was gonna happen. It's an exhausting world to live. So my prayer is for peace for all of us to hear the words of Jesus. And so we're going to look at three things. We're going to look when peace is missing. So point one will be toward a definition of anxiety. Point two is a process of peace, which this passage gives us beautifully. And then finally, the power of peace. So when peace is missing. Um, in other words, for Paul, he seems to juxtapose these two concepts, these two words. And I will say, it seems like much anxiety happens unnoticed. Uh, in a moment, we'll talk about acute anxiety versus chronic. But when much of anxiety just sort of happens. And I think one funny illustration for me, it's not funny. That was not the right, forgive me. Uh, Facebook, social media, someone famous passes away. And someone's usually first to the punch. What do they say? R.I.P. Rest in peace. Now, I haven't, st I, at one point I wondered where that came from. I think that may have Christian origins. Uh, but even like Halloween, people like to put headstones with rest in peace on it. And it's almost like we're saying this, we don't know where you are. You may even be in the ground. And it's better than what we're dealing with here. Rest. You finally have peace. It's this, ad it's like we're admitting that life is frantic and stressful, and again, whatever's happened over here, we don't know, but it's better than what we've got now. And I think it just speaks to the fact, and I, again, humorously, that it, it reveals we are all aware that life is filled with anxiety in our hearts and our culture. So the acute version of anxiety would be like actual moments where there's specifically something I'm anxious about versus what we might call a chronic, which is just sort of a free-floating, ongoing but have you noticed, like, when, you are, when you're struggling with anxiety, it defends itself. 
you know, if you ever ask someone who's anxious about, and I'm going to do a lot of children, even though I don't have any specific one of you in mind. You know, if one of your children is saying, like, stress and stress, and you're like, oh, well, how about this solution or that solution? Often it's like, like, you know, like, why are you so upset? The answer is going to be because, like, the professor or because the teacher or because the friend. We defend ourselves, don't we, in our anxiety? Like, we don't say, you're right, I shouldn't be anxious. We simply assume it belongs. If the cause of the anxiety is important enough, it belongs. And so Paul says in our passage, don't be anxious. It's a really good thing to tell your friends that are anxious. Just say those words. I'm kidding. Don't do that. But nonetheless, it does reveal there's hope. Paul is saying it doesn't belong. It's, a, it's the presence of anxiety in my life says there's something that needs help, right? And another word for anxiety is fear. And I think we saw fear first in Genesis 3. When Adam and Eve sin, they go right to work. God hasn't shown up yet. They don't know what's happened. They've eaten this fruit. They just know they're naked, so they start making fig leaves and sewing them on. And they think they've stemmed the tide. And then in comes the footprints of God, and they hide. And when God says, where are you? And, and he finds them and asks Adam, what happened? Adam says, I was afraid. The knowledge of good and evil. He finally knows what fear is. And he runs and he hides. So here's a definition I'm working on. Again, this is just, you can do it. Everyone knows what anxiety is in general. So, but I'm going to say it like this this morning. The act of taking matters into our own hands because of our conviction that God is not going to care for me. I don't trust those footprints are going to be safe. So I'm going to hide. I'm going to run. Now, you could say, what about people that aren't Christians? Same thing. I mean, an atheist certainly doesn't think there's a God that's going to care for them, and they're left to their own devices. So wherever we are on our spiritual spectrum, our body is saying, you've got to fix this. You've got to take care of this. There is a real problem. And what are the effects? Our behavior is, the, is a very obvious effect. We have this awareness of no control. So we do stuff to try to make us feel like we have control. Um, do you remember the toilet paper issue? Like, like, you know, in a few years when Frontline does its thing, you'll have that guy's voice like, then the society thought it was running out of toilet paper. And I don't know if you know, but all the manufacturers were like, no, no. We're making more than ever, and it's all being delivered. And then you find that there are really the, the goats and the sheep, right? The, the sheep saw the issue and bought it all. Yeah, I see you over there, Brian Lairs. And the goats showed up and thought, ah, there's no toilet paper. And all of us were this fearful image of finishing a moment somewhere and, and looking to that that paper thing with that one last square and going, this is the apocalypse. Like, that's not food, you know, this. For everyone forgot about towels. I mean, anyway. But it made total sense, didn't it? We didn't walk in and go, no toilet paper, that's ah, all good. It's just like everything in us said, we have got to fix this. That's the outward effect. The inward effect, of course, is anxiety divides us, right? Who took it? 
You have some? You know, it divides us. Anxiety divides our brain. It divides our communities. It divides our hearts. And we see that in Philippians. In chapter 1, Paul says this, very powerful, like you're like leaning in when he says, only this, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So you lean in and say, what is it you want, Paul? That when I come, you are of one spirit, in unity. He really drives that point home. A few verses later, what we call chapter 2, he says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, he's talking to the community now. He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord. For Paul, unity, being in unison, is a sign of peace. And when anxiety comes in and it starts to fracture, for Paul, that is awful for a church. And he's obviously seen it in Corinth and elsewhere. And then our passage is very interesting. And, and um, right before we get to our verses, Paul actually names these two women who will forever be remind, remem- remembered for their fights. Right? It says, help these women who have labored side by side. So these are beautiful women of God who have labored with Paul, but he names them. I entreat Yodia and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. And that's the thought he's having as he moves into this passage on anxiety and peace. And what you see is for Paul, he's saying this, when the gospel is present, we have unity. But when anxiety is coming in and allowed free reign, we disband, we fragment, we hoard toilet paper, we do awful things. So here's the question, what do you do with your anxiety? So often what I do is say, well, that's just part of the human nature. It's just the way it's going to be until Jesus comes home. Yet Paul says, don't be anxious. So I'm asking us to not accept our anxiety. Now, here's what I don't mean. I don't mean it needs to go, like, we're going to start measuring. That's not what we mean. We simply mean this. And I'm going to build on this concept. But when Paul tells us to work out our salvation, he's saying, Begin to see these places that are broken and name them as such. And pray that Jesus will begin to heal. And actually, we can begin to use our anxiety as a gift. And I have it to find the places in my heart that are still operating according to the enemy. Um, If you're not interested, like if you're like, you know what, I'm not even interested in this. I don't care about my anxiety. I don't care about their anxiety. You know, I even secretly like my anxiety kind of moves me and forces me to do some great things in life, I would really question where you are with Jesus and really ask, Lord Jesus, do I believe in you? Do I believe these promises are true and that you are peace? All the things we celebrated Advent. So point two is the process that Paul lays out for us. Point one, I'm trying to make you feel it. Do you feel it? Are you all anxious? Point two is the process that he lays out. It's beautiful. And I'm going to give five steps. I'm going to be super practical today. Step one, agree, I've already said this point, but agree that anxiety is indicating there's a problem. If I have a fever, I have a problem, don't I? If I have a fever and you have a fever, I don't judge you for your fever. And you don't judge me for my fever. 
But if I have it, you say, I think your body is doing something. So let's agree that anxiety means something's off. Right? Paul, Paul says, um, you know, again, do not be anxious in anything. Um, by, but by prayer and supplication, present your request to the Lord. I'm going to unpack that further. He's saying it's an indication that we're not quite right with our Heavenly Father in certain places of our lives. Now, some of you, and I, I'm not, some of you struggle and maybe are even on medications for anxiety. I want you to please hear me. You do this already. Like, if you struggle and wrestle with anxiety, you're already saying, I agree that I want Jesus to heal me. And we believe that God will use medications and other means. So please don't, I'm not, you are ahead on the front end, the tip of the spear. But so many of us have just learned to tolerate low-grade anxiety and let it destroy our lives. So I'm not, please hear me, I'm not picking on the few people that have actually had the courage to name they need help. But we have to agree that it's, it's showing something deeper. Uh, the, the science behind it, to my knowledge, which I'm not a scientist, but the amygdala in the limbic system operates prior to consciousness, and that's our fight or flight. And its job is like a fire alarm, and it's saying, warning, warning. And oftentimes, our challenge is it's not the, the warning we need at the right time. And so it's indicating some things that we can do some work on. So point number one, agree. Point number two, we want to set the stage to fighting our anxiety by rejoicing. Paul says this, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now, he doesn't say, again, I'll say rejoice because I just said rejoice four words earlier, though that's fair. But in chapter three, he says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And then he does this amazing stuff in chapter 3, which I'll hint at or talk through a little bit. And then here at the end, he's finishing again. It's like, and as I'm wrapping up for a second time, I want to say this. Rejoice in the Lord. Earlier, Wilson, you prayed that God would come through the preaching of the word. I'm not special, but let me tell you, this Bible is. Paul wrote a letter. It was first delivered to the Philippian church, and it's now being delivered to Grace Church. And you know what he's saying? Rejoice. I read that and I go, oh, I love to worry. <laughs> so I, I need to set the stage. And sometimes when I rejoice, it helps me see more clearly my commitment to anxiety. Have you ever told someone who's grumpy, like, hey, why don't you smile? And they just, mm. But then if you can get someone to smile who doesn't feel like it's like, Maybe now I can actually process what's going on inside of me. Another example, when we did youth work, we did what's called the ha-ha game. You laid everybody down, and my head would be on someone's tummy. I don't think we can do any of this ever again, by the way. This is like, who knows? But, and what happens is the first person starts laughing, and your head's bouncing, and then you're laughing, and pretty soon everyone's laughing. Have you ever, have you ever just fake laughed? The next time you're really down, just start fake laughing. Now, that's not the same thing as rejoicing, I know. But the bottom line is the, the Lord has given us a command here. Joy is a disposition. Joy is an adjective or a noun. To rejoice is a verb. And Paul doesn't say rejoice because you feel like it. He's saying at any moment, at any time, a believer 
who is bought by the blood of Christ, who is adopted in Jesus, we actually both can rejoice and will be correct in doing so. So often my own flesh says, well, I'm not going to do that. It's not authentic. I don't feel it right now. doesn't matter. It's true. I'm committed to truth. And at any moment, I can begin to give joy and praise Jesus, and I ought to do so. So, that's what we do. We rejoice. And I think one of the things that rejoicing does by setting the stage for anxiety, I've, I've panned for gold. I don't think I've ever found anything as a kid, but, you know, you slosh it around. And what's happening is all this stuff's falling out and just the heavier rocks remain. And I think rejoicing sets the stage to go, okay, but what's, what's really eating at me? And then the third, that's three thoughts. I agree that anxiety needs to be paid attention to and reveal something. Two, I'm setting the stage through rejoicing in the Lord. Three, I'm going to now locate the source. Now that Paul has said rejoice, and by the way, let your reasonableness be known. Uh, Equanimity is another word in the English language for that. Gentleness, but it's basically saying when I rejoice, my emotions will settle. I'm not going to be this like, ah. And now I can actually turn to these particular areas of anxiety. And so verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So the first thing we now have to do is locate the rocks. What's the gold? In this case, the, the fool's gold. It's anxiety. And so we're saying, okay, the third step is to go, what am I really anxious about? And each of these steps, by the way, fights fights the power of anxiety, okay? Um, When you name what's bothering you, anxiety is stripped of its power. Because part of the power of anxiety is to keep, it's like a kind of an instigator of a mob. It's like I'm tapping everybody in the back, I'm getting everybody moving, we don't know what's happening, but we're all running. And anxiety is kind of like over there somewhere. So when you stop and go, wait a minute, wait a minute, like what's the issue? And you get particular. Have you ever had that happen either with yourself or someone else? Well, I'm just really freaked out about, okay, start processing. Okay, no, I got that. That's okay. I'm going to study here. I'm going to turn that in there. Okay, but this is still bothering me. And pretty soon you find that it's really just this kind of moving snake-like thing. But if we can get to particularity, that's a helpful thing. On the shoulders of rejoicing. Okay? So are you doing that? Are you turning these, are you locating these sources? Are you asking your own heart, what is it you need? Like, what do you want? Jesus comes close. He says, what do you need? You know, the, the story in Luke where the, the, the parable of the dad who, when the child asks for bread, will not give a scorpion. And he says, how much more will Jesus give you the Holy Spirit to come in and ask you, like, what is it you need? Then we turned into prayer, step four. Anxiety does not want us to do that. Anxiety will say, why would you do that? If you do that, you're trusting something else. Our whole MO is self-effort, self-protection. God is not going to help you. But by faith, on the shoulders of rejoicing, we ask God for help about the things that really are on our minds and hearts, the things that we really can say is bothering us. And we ask for help. And then finally, we do it with thanksgiving. That is hard for me. Is it hard for you? 
Are you thankful? I mean, I can say thank you with the best of them. But am I really aware of the infinite resources my Heavenly Father provides at every moment for my well-being and your well-being? And the answer for me would be no. If I'm anxious, what I'm clearly saying is, you know, even though, like, there's, like, maybe asteroids that he's diverting and, and like, cars that didn't crush me and diseases he stopped that we've never heard of and never will hear of, all I know is this one problem is real and i got to take care of this on my own. And he's like, no, 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 like, I've provided. So when I find that, lo- that when I localize and particularize the thing and pray, I do it with thanksgiving because I realize, like, yes, let's say you're in a situation where tomorrow there's no food. You don't know what's going to happen. But, Lord Jesus, th- for the last, I'm 46, this has never happened. Thank you, Jesus, for 46 years of provision. And I begin to thank him for his provisions. I begin to thank him for for so many amazing things. I, get, I thank him that the chair didn't take out my child. Pray, you know, we don't. We just say, well, it didn't happen because the dad caught it and the, he didn't catch it. Micah, did you? Are you thankful? Why do we feel like if we thank him, it's a trap? Do you ever, thank you, Lord, for this food. I mean, I, I kind of cooked it myself. and I know my wife went to the store. I mean, do you ever, I do that. We need, I want to rejoice. I want to turn back to the realization that God provides all things. And ultimately, Revelation 21, he's making all things new. I can thank him that even if this particular prayer request doesn't go my way, my promise is coming and yours is too. That he will wipe away every tear. And so all of these five steps, which I'll rename in a moment, can bring us back to this place of anxiety being. Not, I'm not saying it's extinguished. I'm not saying, but it doesn't have to have control, you see. It loses its power. So where do we get the power for this? Well, I think one of my favorite parts of the passage is just simply the ending of, of those first verses where it says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When I have anxiety about something, I can name that in that thing, I'm guarding my heart. I'm guarding my mind. And I'm doing a bad job. Because I can't do it. I'm looking around, catching things that are falling. I don't know what happens. And what God is saying is, let me tell you this, if Jesus is where he already actually is. But if you positionally see him on the throne of your heart, you can actually have peace. And it begins to change us. And so we move into these last verses. I'm not going to obviously unpack this whole part. But he says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just and pure and lovely and commendable. What he is saying is this. Think and do on the basis of of what he's already taught us about Jesus. Like, actually look at things that are threatening you and and things that are causing anxiousness and things that are troubling us and go back to, like, the things that Paul has taught us. And what has he taught us in this letter? Well, in chapter 2, he's taught us to have the mind of Christ who, 
though God, and actually one commentary I love says, because he's God, fulfills the rescue and saves us. I'm very much paraphrasing. And then every knee will bow and every tongue will confess he's Lord. And then in conclusion, Paul says, so work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, that causes so much stress because we say, well, aren't we already saved? Remember, salvation is, of course, justification, what happens when we become a Christian. But it's the process of God sanctifying and redeeming us unto glorification. So anxiety reveals there are still outliers in my body operating according to the old way. Remember the Japanese soldiers that didn't know the war was over? They th- you know, 20 years later, they're like, we're still in a war. Our bodies are doing that. Anxiety is saying to you, oh, there's a place, Ermini, that still thinks I'm living by the law. I'm living by my expectations. And he says, with fear and trembling, expose that. Show it Jesus and realize you're safe and that God is the one who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And then I think chapter 3 is Paul fleshing that out. And in the next minute, I'm going to do that. The power is this. Paul says this. All of the things I used to look toward are rubbish. I look to Jesus. I'm, again, paraphrasing. Most of chapter 3. And what is he seeing in Jesus? That Jesus has died. Jesus has, um, uh, he's been adopted in Christ. That Jesus' spirit has come on Paul. That he has a new telos, a new future, where he's going, what he's doing. And none of those things will help him. They're rubbish. What are those things? So he unrolls the scroll. And let me tell you what they are. I make a million a year. You know, I, I never show up to an event without, like, looking my best. Just start listing your stuff that you have to do. And Paul's like, that was my list. That's how I dealt with my anxiety. When I felt stress, I went backwards to these things. And then he says, but I don't look backwards anymore in verse 13, forgetting what is behind and pressing on toward what's ahead. He's not saying I'm forgetting my mistakes. He's saying I'm forgetting the old way And I'm looking toward the new way of Jesus. So when anxiety comes, our bodies are like, what do I have to do? What what thing on my list can I use to tell anxiety I'm okay? How much I know, what I earn, what I think is funny. I mean, just what are the things you cling to? Maybe it's religious things, where I go to church, what my denomination is, what I believe, what I confess. And Paul's like, it's rubbish. The only one that can cure your anxiety is Jesus on the throne of your heart. And he brings peace. So every time anxiety comes up, we have this opportunity to dissect it. How is this thing clinging to what is behind? And I, I uncharacteristically wrote, like, just here's my application. I'm going to read these. And I would encourage you to do these for your own heart. What lies behind is Adam. What lies ahead is Jesus, right? Adam can't save me. That's the rubbish. So you have what the things I'm looking to to define me. Anxiety shows up, and those things aren't working, so the rubbish. And then I look at what lies ahead and how that can save me. Jesus comes. Jesus makes all things new. What lies behind me 
is I need to be somebody. What is true, no matter how hard I try, I'll never be true. I will never be somebody apart from the work of Jesus. In other words, no matter how hard I try, people are not going to ever bestow on me that craving I have. So what do I do now? I look to Jesus that I already am somebody in Christ. What lies behind me, I must learn so much to prove my value. If I learn enough, I have value. That's a lie. Where is that rubbish? I can never learn enough because knowledge doesn't save. What is the truth? What lies ahead is I have the value of Christ already, who is the word, who is every, created everything. What lies behind, I must earn enough to not end up like my dad. By the way, these aren't all my thoughts. I'm just kind of thinking through thoughts. Love my dad. What lies ahead is I have an inheritance that will provide resources forever. What lies behind, I must always look my best. What lies ahead is I am clothed in the righteousness of Christ right now. What lies behind, I must do everything I can to never really be seen. What lies ahead is I am fully known and seen and loved by God in Christ. What lies behind, I'm not enough. What lies ahead is I am perfect in Christ. What lies behind is I need to work extra hard to beat my competition. What lies ahead is Christ has beaten your true competition. And you are now free to rest. What lies behind is I must always maintain my reputation for goodness or kindness. What lies ahead is Jesus is my reputation. And it's perfectly sealed. And I can now move out and love others as a mouthpiece for the Lord. What lies behind is I need to drink. To keep myself from feeling the awfulness that is all around me. What lies ahead is that Jesus took on the awfulness on the cross. And now I can face it knowing it cannot harm me. What lies behind is a deep sense of the ideas that I need to fulfill that I dreamed when I was a child. Some sort of list of things I wanted to accomplish that was as a child beautiful. And I thought would change me or save me. What is rubbish is I now realize those things are enslaving me, those needs. What lies ahead is that Jesus has already freed me from any of those false boundary markers, and I'm an heir of God and Christ. Are you listening to the words and going away and it's poof? Because this sermon doesn't change you. Somebody standing up here saying words It's not a sacrament. We have to do the work. We have to look at our hearts. And when Paul says this, and we read it, and we hear it, your job now is to go away. And I'm going to ask you to do these five things as I conclude. Agree that your anxiety is a signal that somewhere in you, you're not connected to Jesus at that moment. I'm not saying you're not a Christian. You are a Christian. That's why you can do any of this. But now we're working out that salvation all through the rest to rejoice that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Praise God. Even in the face of that anxiety, start to rejoice. Three, name, particularize what it is. Find out those things. Four, pray about them. Lord, will you please help me with these particular areas? And then five, thank the Lord. Thank the Lord for what he's already done. Thank you, as Wilson prayed so beautifully, that he's listening right now and has all the power. And I would say primarily thank him for salvation 
and what's coming when he returns and what we have when we go home to be with the Lord. And I don't, again, the promise isn't that anxiety just goes away. It just doesn't have that grip because part of its grip is our, our just ignoring it and letting it rule in our lives. Merry Christmas. That's my prayer for you and for myself this year, that we begin to actually say no. No to these ways that our hearts or our bodies are trying to take us down. And remember that the Spirit comes in gentleness and helps us see these areas and applies his healing balm as we turn more and more to Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Let him guard your heart and your mind this Christmas. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, um, I think, can become addicted to anxiety. I know I am sometimes. Because to be super honest with you, there is a fear that when we turn to you, we don't have control anymore. That we're giving the control to you, Jesus. You're taking over the guardianship of our heart and our mind, and yet we want to ask you if you know what you're doing. We're afraid you'll mess it up, or maybe you're not good. So we need forgiveness. We need your gentle and lowly hand to teach us to curl up in your arms and allow you to do what you do best, to guard our hearts and our minds while we walk this very hard and barren land, longing to be with you face to face. My prayer, Father, is that this Christmas in 2022, that we would see at Grace Church, that we'd see all over the world and in our own hearts individually, renewal. That your spirit would become our lifeline. That we would talk to you, pray to you, bring things to you. I pray that people would think we were crazy because our lips are always moving. For your glory. Amen.